0: everyone. Welcome to the show, and happy Friday. Hope you've had a fantastic week. Hope you have an even better weekend. I'm your host, Amala Penobi, and today we're going to be talking about the fact that the White House is looking an awful lot like the Capitol from Hunger Games. And you guys know I love that whole book series, the movie franchise, all of that. So I got a lot to say. Plus, we're talking about a mayor who tried to have an elected of color Christmas party, and that ended up backfiring on her camp newton you know former nfl star says that white people should not be able to teach black history which is uh really interesting plus we've got some diversity quota movies coming out in hollywood next year that we're going to be talking about and are gen z women down bad for men from the 1950s that they can no longer find in 2023 we'll be discussing that but before we go there we have taylor in nashville hey
1: so many interesting topics today and happy Friday to everybody and happy Saturday to the guy in the chat who said it's Saturday morning, pr- presumably in Australia, or wherever you happen to find yourself today.
0: Yes, thank you for watching. Now, let's get into this recent White House video that came out. It is a Christmas dance that Joe Biden ended up posting on the Internet, much to everybody's dismay. And it shows a dance troupe that is, you know, going all throughout the White House. I believe they're doing it to the Nutcracker Suite, but we had to uh, end up dubbing the music. Because we don't want to get copyright claimed. And I sure as hell am not going to get copyright claimed by the White House because I refuse (laughs) to allow that to
1: happen. They're taking enough of our money.
0: (laughs) Yes, they have. They have taken enough of our money. So let's take a look at this White House Christmas dance. guys get the gist right are you uh, are you feeling the love the joy the Christmas spirit coming from the White House and mind you I know that every year the White House engages in Christmas festivities and they decorate and we all judge the First Lady on her White House decorations and they do little videos here and messages there but just I don't know what it is about this year and the costumes and the fanfare this feels particularly just misplaced, it feels tone deaf, but, here we are. And I immediately saw this and others felt the same way and thought this looks like the capital from The Hunger Games. For those of you who are unfamiliar with The Hunger Games franchise, haven't read the books, haven't watched the movies, there are the districts, which are essentially the, the states, and then there is the, the capital. And the capital is where all the people of, of power and of, of uh, you know, riches live. And they're all decked out in these different costumes and it's full of vibrant color. And they buy whatever they want. They have all this, this these luxuries and a, a luxurious lifestyle. And they basically look down upon the districts, which provide all of the, the luxuries and the comforts that they get to enjoy in the capital. And I'll show you uh, what the Hunger Games capital looks like so that you guys can get a feel for why people are making the connection between that White House video and what we are, are looking at when it comes to that Christmas dance. Here are the people of the Capitol. You can sort of see them here. You know, Effie Trinket, all their, amazing costumes and everything that they wear uh, the the very similar architecture that's all across the capital and it's very clear why people were deciding to make that comparison and when I think about it the the true, Divide that we witness in the Hunger Games is one of like socioeconomic status and this view of elites versus the others. And I can't think of uh, a more apt, I guess, comparison for where we're at right now as a society. It really is in us versus them and them being the elites and the mega corporations and those that sit in the White House. And while people are struggling in the United States of America, they're hiring dance troops to come and throw on costumes and paying millions of dollars to to decorate the White House and put out these videos for you guys. Meanwhile... They're using your tax dollars, presumably, to make that happen. And we all, we are also used to our tax dollars being wasted while it's being spent on you know, dance troops and decorations. We also have billions of dollars going over to Ukraine and Israel, and none of that being used to help people who are living here in the United States. So it just kind of feels like a little jab <laughs> to watch a video like this coming from the White House. And I teeter on, you know, should they be able to do Christmas celebrations like this and put out a little fun video on behalf of the the First Lady of the United States? And maybe at some point, but you need to read the room first. And the room is telling you that right now we do not want your happy holiday season messaging. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, it's it's it struck me as immediately a little, uh, not a little, but very cringe. And I had to kind of ask myself why, because on its face, OK, you have... A Christmas celebration, you mm-hmm. do the, a little dance, and I think we swapped out the music originally is supposed to be a Nutcracker score, which yep. there's a layer of just innocent traditionalism to that where you could say, okay, well, that's, that's just nice that they're doing this. But the way it was executed, it does feel very like, almost dystopian it's kind of like look yeah. how in touch we are we're very in touch with the you know the other classes and the regular peoples of the world and it just comes across with the costumes and you know and you can tell also that obviously the people are very deliberately selected and yes. the ethnicity and everything that we're seeing it's just kind of like you're, you're there's a lot you're saying more than just Merry Christmas or anything like that.
0: Right. When you see it, I'm my immediate thought and I'm going to go there because I guess I'm allowed to go there as a half black individual. I watch the video and I'm like okay, diversity quota, diversity quota, diversity (laughs) quota and that's immediately what comes to mind now every time I see something like this, especially from an entity like the White House. So, uh, and it turns out I'm not wrong, okay, (laughs) because somebody ended up looking into this dance troupe and I'll show you the receipts. It says, Breaking, the group behind the viral Biden Christmas video is a radical anti-white group called Dorrance dance on the group web on the group website. Uh, it calls for defunding the police, abolishing prisons, and even quotes Marxist terrorist Angela Davis. The site has an entire section dedicated to anti-white literature. So here's what it says. uh, You know, where to spend your money, support black-owned businesses, We Buy Black, of course, all of these different uh, movements that they are working on, end gender-based violence, hashtag defund police, more protection for black trans women in the UK, defund and redistribute the NYPD, which is absolutely ridiculous. And then... It even has a table of contents on their website where they define what white privilege is, what systemic racism is, what's white fragility. So if you saw that White House video and you thought to yourself, diversity and corona, it seems like they're doing this to sort of push a certain narrative. Like, oh, look, we allow we allow black people in the White House and we even, we even let them dance. <laughs> That's exactly what they were doing. It's very capital-esque. You know, I see so many things now where I'm like, The Hunger Games could not be more relevant, could not be more timeless. And I really think just because of the state of the world right now, those books are going to go on to be, you know, quoted and cited for decades to come. I'm watching these celebrities who have all the abundance that the world can offer, and they're, like, jabbing themselves with Ozempic shots to keep themselves skinny amid all, like, the different foods that they can eat and places they can go and all this stuff. And it's very reminiscent of... Of when Katniss and PETA make it to the Capitol, and they're going on their their victory tour after the, the Hunger Games is over. Spoiler alert. Sorry. You yeah, guys, what the hell? You guys should know by now <laughs> that Katniss and PETA uh, are the victors of the Hunger Games. And they're at this grand party, and they see the Capitol people just stuffing their faces with food, and then they drink a drink that makes them throw up so that they can continue to eat more and more and more. And it's just... There's so many different through lines that I see in comparisons that I can make to that book. So shout out to Suzanne Collins for writing something so relevant, but I wish it wasn't as relevant as it is. I wish I didn't feel like there are so many distinct similarities between what she wrote in that book and where we are living right now.
1: We did a little a poll for you guys. How did you feel about the video? 83% say cringe. 16% say it's whatever, no big deal. And 1% say loved it. So I guess they're sharing our sentiments overall. And I, I can't help but kind of, I'm sure they had planned this well before, the whole Claudine Gay thing that we talked about on Wednesday. Um, but it, it kind of feels like a little bit of a reassertion of like the, you know, the the whole DEI empire was on the ropes a little bit there this past couple weeks with with all the criticism that it's been getting for uh just with the, the whole Harvard scenario and everything. And this almost feels like a little reassertion of like, no, we're not backing down from the diversity quotas. We're not backing down from this ideology dominating the airwaves. This is the White House. We're putting this out there. This is still who we are. And it's sort of the the fight of the day uh, or you know, the flavor of the week, so to speak. And if it happened to be during Pride Month right now, I'm sure we'd see something similar, but with drag queens, you know, it's yeah. just, it has that kind of energy.
0: And you know, like this is, this is what goes down in the history books. Like these are the things, that sort of remain relevant and they'll go back to, you know, 2023 and they'll look at the White House Christmas video and everything's going to look like, everything's glamorous and fine and diverse and everything's wonderful. But the reality of what's happening right now in this year, 2023, is not at all what's being depicted in that Christmas video, which I find so interesting. And as I said, they do this every single year, so I guess it's no different. But this one just particularly strikes me harder than the other ones. It's very... Uh, reminiscent of what's happened recently in San Francisco. For those of you who are unfamiliar with this story, Xi Jinping and some other leaders, uh, the leader of China and Many others were coming to visit San Francisco. And we all know that San Francisco is a literal hellscape. There are needles all over the ground, garbage everywhere, homeless people strewn all over the city. There's, you know, just drug abuse right out there in the open, people defecating on the sidewalk. And suddenly, as the leader of China, Xi Jinping, is coming to visit San Francisco, everything's clean and clear, and somehow, the city, within a matter of days, is able to look sparkling for the leader of China,
2: <laughs> so they couldn't do it
0: for U.S. citizens, they couldn't do it for the citizens of San Francisco, but they can do it for Xi Jinping, and when asked about why the city looked so sparkling clean for Xi Jinping, uh, Gavin Newsom says, you know, when somebody's coming over to your house, don't you clean it before they get there?
1: Yeah you crazy <laughs> it's like they either think we're stupid or they don't think we're stupid we they just don't care what we think and are you so used to living in their own world and having the double standards for themselves you know you had what was it the the English laundry or whatever that Gavin Newsom French went to. Laundry. French laundry. Yeah. in the middle of the pandemic. Every other restaurant was closed, but he got to have his birthday party inside. And there's clearly a separation of we play by a certain set of rules. We have a certain orthodoxy that we impose on everyone else. And we ourselves are exempt from that. And before before I. Take off, get off the soapbox. I am reminded of a quote I just saw come across my Twitter feed uh-huh. uh, yesterday, and this is from C.S. Lewis in that hideous strength. And he's talking about the difference between like the the elite orthodoxy and like everyday people. And everyday people aren't fooled by this stuff that we're seeing, um, and it doesn't resonate with them. But he said, "Why you fool? It's the why you fool? It's the educated reader who can be gulled, or who can be deceived. Um, all our difficulty comes with the others. When did you meet a workman that believes the papers? The workman takes it for granted that." The they're all propaganda. It skips the leading articles. He buys the paper for the football results and the little paragraphs about girls falling out of windows and corpses found in Mayfair flats. He is our problem. We have to recondition him. But the educated public, the people who read the highbrow weeklies, they don't need reconditioning. They're all—they're all right already. They'll believe anything. Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis wrote that in like the '40s or '50s. Just, it's crazy. and it's crazy that that Hunger Gamesy sort of uh, society still exists today.
0: Yeah, and it's so real, especially with the COVID examples that you brought up of them just like having these fan. Fancy dinners and doing parties and things, which we know was happening all the time, not just in the U.S. Uh, the, the U.K. was going crazy with politicians deciding to party during uh, lockdown while others were being called super spreaders. And that's what's happening, you know? In, in the Hunger Games, you have kids fighting to the death live on, on television while the Capitol is celebrating and placing bets on, on who goes and who wins. And you, they're having parties in the face of tragedy all the time. And wow, are we just in an interesting time that this is the world that we are living in. Now in other news, we're going to be talking about Mayor Wu, who we spoke about on the show yesterday, who is the mayor of Boston, (laughs) ended up sending out an email to people that she was going to host in electeds of color Christmas parties. This was a Christmas party hosted on her behalf that was only meant to be for elected officials of color, meaning no whiteys allowed. Uh, If you whitey, it ain't righty, and you're not coming to the Christmas party. Now, of course, this email gets posted on the internet, and people are going insane, saying, like, what the hell? How dare you discriminate against people, especially during the holiday season? So she took to the news to clear things up. Let's see what she has to say.
3: I think we've we've had individual conversations with everyone so people understand that it was truly just a, an honest mistake that went out in, in typing the email field and um, I look forward to celebrating with everyone at the holiday parties that we will have besides this one as well. So, um, it is my intention that we can again um, be a city that lives our values and creates space for all kinds of communities to come together. Mm.
0: Okay, all kinds of communities except for the white people and how do you mistakenly type up an email and send it (laughs) inviting elected officials of color to a party how how does one do that did you have some sort of spasm on your keyboard that ended up just so happened to have spelled out electeds of color christmas party make that make sense
1: Yeah, she wasn't sorry for throwing a party only for non-whites. She was sorry that some whites accidentally got her email invitation, which tells you everything you need to know about how they're thinking about this. And again, this is still that Hunger Games kind of energy. You have this, like, we're elitist because we're electeds and we are of the the in-group with the POCs and we're the people who prop up the POCs and, oh, look at us in our posh, fancy party. And I'm so sorry that some other people Got the invitation.
0: Right. A literal modern day segregationist. And the story's going to get wilder, right? But first, let's lay some more foundation for how this woman feels or claims to feel about white
1: people. What would you call what's coming? A little more information about this whole situation with the mayor some Boston tea? <laughs>
0: It is indeed some Boston tea, and About I wish party. I had a mug. I wish I had a mug to drink it. <clears throat> now, here is her uh, again referring to white people and it seems to be a very negative manner. Let's watch.
3: In Just over 100 days, we have connected unhoused residents at Mass and Cass to housing, treatment and services. We've launched three free bus lines. We've taken some big, bold actions, but I won't lie. This past winter was pretty intense. Trial by snow. Trial by Fire, Fighters Union. I'm getting used to dealing with problems that are expensive, disruptive, and white. I'm talking about snowflakes, snowflakes. I mean snowstorm snowflakes. Just over. Hmm, expensive,
0: disruptive, and white. Hmm, what interesting, what interesting rhetoric, especially when we delve a little deeper into the background of Mayor Wu, into the family of Mayor Wu, and we find this. What, what is that? What, what, who, who is that? Is that, is that a whitey I see that you are in fact married to? And you know what, guys, this whole trope, and it is a very real trope now. It's very, very real of, I hate white people white boyfriend, white husband type woman. These women are all over the place. You have Mayor Wu, who's an I hate white people, but I'm going to marry a white man type of woman. You have AOC, I hate white people, I've married a white man woman. You have uh, Kamala Harris, I hate white people, married a white man type of woman. I believe Ilhan Omar also, I hate white people mm. with, a, with a white man as well. The list goes on and on and on and on. So... Are they lying when they say they hate white people and just like scapegoating white people? And that's just the decided narrative of the day. And they're just, you know, playing that in public so that they can, you know, do whatever they want in private with their their white husbands and white boyfriends. Or do they actually believe that white people are sinister and yet they're still choosing to date and marry the supposed colonizer?
1: Yeah. Activists in the streets. Oh, sorry, <laughs> activists in the streets, white supremacists in the sheets, maybe <laughs> I don't know uh, you can't you can't have it both ways if they're this this big evil force unless they're like, "Oh, I got a good one, I got a tame one, I have an ally, and right. you know i'm or I'm somehow subverting the the white supremacist superstructure hierarchy by make, you know, subjecting them into my domain. But it doesn't feel like that. It feels like you. this rhetoric just works for you politically and this is kind of the, your shtick, but you don't actually live out what your beliefs are. If white people are this big problem, then why are you uh, having children with them?
0: Right, I don't think you actually believe what it is that you're saying, which makes it even worse uh, to be behaving like this and doing this sort of stuff. And maybe, I'm like, I'm trying to think of what the dynamic is in this relationship. If you're a husband, who is white and you are constantly hearing your wife who is in a position of power, you know, in this country, speaking ill of white people, saying that they're inherently racist, saying that they're destructive in society. Where are you in your marriage right now? Like who's wearing the pants in your relationship? Are you just like, uh, are you whipped? Like, I don't, I don't understand. How could you possibly listen to that on a daily basis from somebody who you are married to when it's an indictment on you, your character, your background and everything about you at the end of the day?
1: Yeah, we know there are a lot of self-hating white people in this country who totally fall hook, line and sinker for this whole, you know. America is this white supremacist country ideology. What is it, uh, the cyber Rao or people like that that uh, are paid hundreds of dollars by a table full of rich white women to come and teach them about how racist they are, The the. go through the Robin DiAngelo book, White Fragility. So, I mean, that is a thing and it's far more common than it should be. But it's just it's very sad and very on the nose that you have a family with someone who has this ideology and you just can't see through it.
0: Yeah, I mean, like that's like white guilt to the furthest degree that you could possibly have. And yeah, Taylor's right. There are white people that pay. I think in the UK, they do these dinners that is like analyzing your your whiteness or like your racism or whatever. And you have to pay $2,500 to be at the table to do this as a white person. So you, <laughs> you pay $2,500, you sit down at the table and they talk about how racist you are and like how you're racist. The question is not, am I racist? It's just, how am I racist? And you have to delve into... All of that. So maybe that's who's, you know, getting into bed with AOC and Kamala Harris and Mayor Wu because it just does not doesn't make sense to me cuz i think about myself you know i would date somebody who has some left-leaning opinions but i would most definitely not date somebody who thinks that because i'm black i'm a victim in america and that they should like feel bad for me and i should get reparations and you know the the world is is bent against me i would never ever be able to tolerate being in the same like room for very long with somebody who's like that
1: Yeah. Or like, I wouldn't date a racist because fundamentally that's what this is. You're you're judging an entire group of people based on their skin color and and attributing evil intent to them or, or evil historical baggage or whatever it may be to this entire race of people just based on their skin color. And that is literally definitionally racism. And I've been seeing some back and forth about a lot of back and forth on on social media about DEI this week. And there's people saying, well, it was well-intentioned, but it just kind of got out of hand here and there. And like, it doesn't matter if you're well-intentioned if the fundamental tenet that you're promoting is that we must discriminate. We Mm -hmm. must be racist towards people. We must take things away from people because of the color of their skin. We must artificially boost up other people because of the color of their skin. That is totally out of line with the idea of equality and this stuff I feel like gets far too much of a pass in our mind and anytime someone's caught up in these oppressor oppressed framework and it's okay to discriminate against any people of any race or whatever Mm -hmm. uh, that it's justified because of prior oppression or whatever it's it's not okay just on its face racism's not okay discrimination's not okay and we're much better off uh sticking to those beliefs than adopting this whole new ideology that justifies what is unjustifiable
0: yeah and you just did a perfect segue into (laughs) our next video and our next story i'm sure many of you will recognize the name cam newton uh nfl star i guess former former nfl star former yeah Yeah,
1: he's a has-been now
0: he's a has-been now um uh but he was great
1: but he's a has-been now
0: unlike the other has he continues to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and he was recently on a podcast where he talked about an, a recent incident in his life with his children and their education. I'm going to let him tell it and uh, we'll see if you're as baffled as I was upon watching this.
3: I'm going through an issue right now with my children. All of them have education from private schools and something alarming happened when my daughter came home. It was February and she said, "Dad, a white person is teaching us about black history." And I was like, "Yo, that's that's not right." You know what I'm saying? In my opinion, I, we all are entitled to their own opinion. And I'm like, "If a white person is teaching about black history, can a black person teach about a white culture? You know, Caucasian history. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> European <laughs> true, yeah. history." And I'm like, you could, but it's going to be some things that's left out. You know what I'm saying? Slavery. How did Africans move to, you know, America? And now, things- can I ask you a question? Yes. Because when I was going to private school, all that, I'm going to be completely honest, I didn't have a lot of black teachers. Mm-hmm. So, now to that ten, your kids are probably going to school with teachers who, they're not letting black teachers in. Did you have black history in, in high school? No. I don't that's think I had that.
2: That's the problem.
3: I'm not ready, I'm not ready,
0: I'm not ready, I'm not ready. Okay, first of all, let's unpack so many different things here. So many different things. First of all, Why is it that your child would come home from school and say, daddy, a white person is teaching black history? First, you have to precondition your child to even be thinking like that in the first place, which is just devastating to hear that you have your child going out into the world and going like, white, black, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, and just viewing people in that way and in that light. That's number one. Second of all, there are black people that teach white history or Caucasian history, whatever he wants to call it, all the time. And yes, that is something that is totally acceptable to do in today's time and should most definitely have been acceptable in the past. Teaching is about knowledge and information and passing that down. It does not matter the skin color of the individual who does that. And for him to go on with this narrative that it is not okay for a white person to teach black history absolutely astounds me. It's almost as if he thinks that every time a black person is born, all of black history is somehow uploaded into their brain. And they're the ones who are never going to miss anything in teaching their students what black history is and is not. It's just so unfortunate. And again, it's because of this, this sort of framework of believing that white people are inherently prejudiced, that they're going to leave things out no matter what, when it comes to black history, because that is what they want to do and that they couldn't possibly understand history, you know, through the lens of blackness, whatever that means, when, what? We're all just meant to understand our, our, our own history to to the best of, of our abilities and not anybody else's? Come on.
1: <laughs> BFFR.
0: BFFR.
1: Look, Cam has a dream, okay? That where history teachers will be judged not by the historical accuracy and <laughs> insightfulness of their teaching but by the color of their skin. Yeah. That is the society that we want to live in. Not, can you actually do the job that's in question? Can you actually educate people uh, his, with historical facts? Can you prepare them for life by equipping them with information about the real world that has happened? No, no, no. Are you the right color to talk about things? That is the... the, the primary question in all of our dealings
0: and this mindset is just so regressive and it just sucks to to hear it and and then the the two ladies on this little podcast are reverting to well you know in the private schools they're not going to have many black teachers anyway what is that supposed to mean why why is that why do you think that 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 is oh because the private schools are discriminating against black teachers so they would never be there anyway so a white person must teach the black history When you just view yourself as a victim all the time, you will constantly seek out problems like this and make it other people's issue. I hope he didn't go to the school and like request that a black person teach his kids black history and that he just sort of kept this internal struggle uh, to himself. Because uh, if I was a school administrator and somebody came and said, you must have a black person teach black history, the door. I'm just going to roll my eyes. Bye. Bye. We don't need the tuition, actually. Actually, you can just go, I don't want to deal with it. I'm sure your kids are great, but I do not want to deal with this sort of mindset. Of course, white people can teach black history. Of course, black people can teach white history, (laughs) whatever that means. Anybody can teach history, for anybody can read and accumulate knowledge. Oh, my gosh. Be so for real. Be so for real, Cam. Now, we're going to look at this. This is a, a clip, I think, from a trailer of a new movie that is coming out in 2024. Uh, Since we're on the topic of race, let's just have you you watch this.
3: I know you can feel their discomfort, Aaron. Watching you walk through a room full of white people was the most painful thing I've ever seen. Excuse me, sorry. (laughs) I don't wanna take you to a job interview. There's a recruiting class starting right now and we gotta get you in it. Welcome to the American Society. Of magical Negroes. I don't really understand. It's easier to say. What's the most dangerous animal on the planet? Sure. shark. White people, when they feel uncomfortable. White people feeling uncomfortable precedes a lot of bad stuff for us. That's why we fight white discomfort every day. Because the happier they are, the safer we are.
0: That's real. I don't know. That is a real part of uh, seemingly a trailer for this movie about the society of magical Negroes. This is gonna come out in March of 2024. And it's just crazy. I hate saying, imagine this being done for any other race, but imagine this being done for any other race. This is crazy. They just called white people who get uncomfortable, right? Okay, so we have to give the caveat. White people who get uncomfortable are the animals. But that tells you how the person who wrote this whole, you know, screenplay or whatever, how they feel about white people. It shows you how every person who is, uh, you know, a ha- had a hand in creating this movie feels about white people. And how long can Hollywood continue to just dump out garbage like this? And how many people are going to continue to fall for this? I am going to be amazed if this does not flop in the box office, given its messaging. Who wants to watch? a movie like this with rhetoric like this, that is just so such a blatant piece of just pandering to black people, blatant pity towards black people and this like incessant need that we have to elevate black people above the rest you know white people are dangerous animals especially when they're uncomfortable and we black people we have magical powers and that's how we overcome the oppression that we face on a daily on a daily basis and how uncomfortable we feel in white spaces it's a slap in the face to black people and to white people
1: yeah, because we've adopted this oppressor oppressed framework largely as a culture. I mean, there's still kind of a war going on of do we have absolute commitment to this new ideology where it's OK to discriminate against white people because they're in the oppressor class um, and and the people of color can do no wrong because they're in the oppressed class. We're still kind of in the, the war of worldviews uh, between that and the more traditional American view, which is equality, which is, you know, we're not judging people by the color of their skin, but the content of their character but like you said just you know imagine if if a movie uh, were to say that black people who are scared or triggered or whatever are animals, like dangerous right. animals. That is such an insane assertion. And if every person in America believed that racism on its face is wrong, then this video would be an outrage and Netflix wouldn't be able to put it out. And everyone would be taken to the streets with pitchforks and saying this, we're rejecting repudiating this type of thinking because this is not who we are. This is not what we believe. And again, I, I we, you know, we talked about it on Wednesday with the whole Harvard situation, but I, I am seeing moments in our culture right now where uh, DEI and this whole ideology, this whole lens that we're looking at, this new lens of oppressor oppressed that we're looking at the whole uh, racial dynamic through in this country, it is being challenged more than it was. And it is mm-hmm. losing some of the grip that I think it's had, but it's still certainly, you know, the the overarching at least from the elites and you know tying everything back together with like this hunger game stuff going on it seems like the the educated intellectuals and people who occupy positions of influence and power in the culture whether it's in hollywood or government or academia or whatever they hold to this worldview or at least want to promote it um but i wonder and i hope that with something like the harvard situation this week and the general outrage around stuff like this that it is weakening Um, But I I don't know if I'm ready to say that it is yet. How do you feel? Yeah,
0: I don't know. Like, I think about, like, this show and stuff that we've done because – we love to like go watch movies as they're coming out and as we think they're gonna be woke and like, you know, give them a woke score and try to gauge some of the ideology that's present in these films. And typically you have to work a little bit. Like you have to see through some of the subtlety in the racism, they're, they're racist, but in like a, a metaphoric sense. For an example, if any of you guys watched Get Out by, by Jordan Peele, it's an indictment on white people and particularly white liberals, and that is what the film is about. But you have to sort of crawl through some of the the subtlety of, you know, a white person trying to take on a black body but not wanting, the, you know, the black person behind that body or whatever. And you have to read the racism into it. This is just like... F white people. White people are animals when they're uncomfortable. We don't like them. We're uncomfortable when we're around them. And we are better than them. <laughs> it's just like mm. I was expecting, you know, if you're going to be racist, you at least want to like finesse it a little bit. Be a, Have a little subtlety, a little nuance to your racism. This is just direct, distinct and blatant.
1: Yeah. And like this is an interesting conversation, too, because we talk all the time about comedy and free speech and how, you know, if you're doing you're you're talking about stereotypes and different races in a comedic sense or whatever, like that's totally fair game. No one's clutching their pearls about that or should be. And we call out the people who do. Um, But whenever it's actual, just unabashed, straight up, just racism and then you expect us to just be okay with it, that's where, yeah, I'm not going to sit to uh, take that sitting down. I'm going to say something and call this out because it's inconsistent with the values that made this country flourish and become what it is. It's inconsistent with values that work and include everybody and don't normalize a type of racism that makes it okay to to hate people and denigrate people on the basis of their skin color. And we're seeing more and more of that. And it just feels like that's a backwards trajectory from where we should be going
0: yeah i'm just wondering when it ends like it's uh, for real it's corny it's corny i see these things i'm like cornball tomato 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 tacky (laughs) like when when are people gonna get over it Uh, i think it has to be that these movies flop which they do they flop like one after the other obviously get out by jordan (laughs) peele did not flop but Like a movie like this that is just has no true character to it. The writing is lazy, you would think. Just nobody's going to show up to watch it. And then they're going to have to. You know, grapple with the fact that the general public doesn't want to watch something like this. I feel like if somebody who would watch this movie it's just like a hate watch. I would hate watch it and review it. <laughs> but oh, yes. Yeah, we'd
1: react to it on the channel just to, you know. Yeah. But then, here's what would happen. We'd react to it, everyone would uh, review it on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, and like the general population audience score would be like <laughs> 0 out of 100. And then the actors and the directors would blame racist, right-wing conspiracy theorists, people who are triggered and trolling and doing all this stuff. Right. And in reality, people just don't like your your racist movie like that um, what was it like a, a black hip hop version of uh, Robin Hood where they're like stealing oh, from yeah. the bad white man came out and the director was going out there like the reason why this has the lowest reviews in IMDb history is all because of racist. Yep. They did that with the Lord of the Rings remake that Amazon did that had a bunch of weird diversity and race swapping and stuff like that. It's they Waste just cry fun. racism every time you don't we don't like their content. But I wonder uh, if that if that's becoming a tire Stick and people are not going to buy that anymore
0: I think they'll try as much as they can I, I'm thinking of recent examples of that happening yet again the marvels people were saying oh the, the reason it flopped in the box office is because of misogyny and people don't want to watch a movie that features uh, women then uh, woman king that that whole movie came out which was a complete like misrepresentation of of black history and they said if you don't watch this movie you're racist the movie that Billy Eichner made about uh, that gay romance mm, it flopped in the box office bros he comes out and says it's because the general public's homophobic that's why my movie flopped it's just like take some take some personal responsibility for yourself
1: people in are saying Little Mermaid Woman King the examples just keep coming man. Yes. We, we everybody knows that this is happening
0: right like just be an artist who makes good art instead of blaming the audience for not enjoying the thing that you've created like in what world has that ever been the case typically if you're an artist and you create something and it like it doesn't get great reviews or it flops you go damn back to the drawing board I need to work on this you know unless it's not your goal to have people uh you know like the things that you're creating if it's not your goal then it stands on its own but since when have you had the artist turn back around and blame it on you? <laughs> that's crazy. crazy.
1: I was relieved to see, I think I showed you today, There, I saw on Twitter, there's a new announcement for an Alexander uh, the Great documentary series that's coming out on Netflix. And I read that headline and I'm like, oh, here we go. Sure enough, it's going to be race swapped. They're going to be right. of all different races and genders. He's probably going to be trans. Like, who knows? And lo and behold, at least from the posters and images that they Mm -hmm. released, they actually have a historically accurate depiction of someone who would be Alexander cast. so I guess that's one you know the, the the scales are tipped for Netflix very much in the race swap category but we can put one little pebble back in the other side right. uh, with this Alexander documentary supposedly.
0: We'll see we'll see when it comes out because you can just never you never know with the things that Netflix uh, puts out <laughs> now in other non uh, race related news this video has recently gone viral of a young woman saying you know she, she can't find it in her to be attracted to guys uh in 2023 to the young men of this current day and age but when she looks back at photos of you know men from the 1950s who were seemingly more masculine higher testosterone she she feels something for them and why can't she find that in this modern day and age let's watch
2: i am sick i i'm sick because i will go out in public and see today's young men, and I'm just like, something's not clicking for me, something's just not doing it for me. I've been single for four years. Um, but then I'll go to the thrift store, and you know, those like little buckets that have like the old photos in them? Yeah, I'll look through those, and I'm like, whose grandpa is this? Because he was so fine, okay, like my grandpa who was in World War II, not him, okay. Give me a second. My grandpa, who was in World War II, a fighter pilot. He was alive until a few years ago, and he was wonderful. And when he passed away, I was the one who was like, "Give me all these family photos. Like, give me everything. Like, give me the photos." So I have photos of him and his squadron. I think you call it. They were the real. T- like, they were so fun. Not my grandpa, but the men that he was flying and working with. They were so handsome, and i don't know what it is like i really don't and then i'll see those TikToks of the men like the actors from the 60s the 50s and the 60s and they were so handsome i don't know maybe it's just the way they dressed but like i don't like old men i love young men i just love young men back then you know
0: She's actually so real for that. <laughs> <laughs> She's actually so real for that. It's very rare that I don't know. I, maybe I am like delusional, but I feel like there's a different there's a different vibe. It could be you can attribute some of it to like the clothing, the style, the culture of back in the day, and I think there is. Always, this general sense within every new generation of longing for what was before. And I think that will always be something that's present. What's going to completely black pill me is when I start to see like Gen Alpha be like, I wish it was the early 2000s. i like, <laughs> they start pulling up early 2000s celebrities and like drooling over them. That's going to really get to my soul. Mm. <laughs> but I get it with the, the 1950s, and there's actual. Uh, data and research to back this up the T, the T levels testosterone levels of men back then are way like astronomically higher than the average United States male right now I think I read somewhere that like uh, a 70 year old now I think has more testosterone than like a 20 20 year old uh, or maybe it was it was it a 70 year old from back then has more testosterone now than a 20 year old. Today. In, in today's time. Oh my gosh. It's something crazy and they say like it's due to, you know, food and synthetic hormones and just the general environment as well as, you know, cultural uh, effects, but testosterone is way down which masculinizes the the face, so when you see like men of before, they look a little older, maybe a little burlier, they have uh, square jaws and just more masculine features, you don't find that as much in the current day. Men are increasingly looking more feminine, a lot softer in the face, and it could be due to those testosterone levels.
1: Got to bring TRT back into the forefront or something. Like <laughs> oh like, you increasingly younger. It used to be a thing for old guys. This is going to be like young men just shooting up oh, testosterone yeah, just to be attractive to women again. Uh, but is is it a? What do you think about how? Because we've talked about like the e-boy phenomenon and how like the the Timothy Chalamet archetype or the, the Harry Styles type of uh, guys are are the sort of more attractive people to Gen Z but is that Mm -hmm. true for the women we did a poll here and asked you guys did ladies was the average man more attractive in the 1950s than today it's about a six to one ratio of women saying that they were Um, so is what where does the e-boy phenomenon fit into that like the Tom Hollands, the Timothy Chalamet is that the new archetype and or are girls actually wanting something different
0: I think okay so we we obviously have a biased audience on this I think that our audience is going to go for like a, a a more traditional sense of masculinity and you're going to find that predominantly, you know, in the, in the 1950s. So that's probably why we have that skew there. I don't know. I think a lot of young women really like that sort of soft masculine look like you said, the Timothy Chalamets, the Harry Styles, and maybe it's because obviously you're a product of your environment. You know what you know. And we we only know the men that we have now and we only know the men prior to from like photos and in videos and things. There's not much to be, like, gleaned from longing about time that has already passed. So you're going to pick the best selection of what you have. And for women now, a lot of them love the Timothy Chalamet's and the Harry Styles. There's also the pendulum swing of, like, they view that 1950s masculinity as being particularly toxic. So if the pendulum swings in the other direction, it is going to be this feminized man, which... Doesn't necessarily mean that he's not a man, it just means that he's challenging the modern or the traditional notions of what it was to be a man. You know, Timothy Chalamet will wear like sparkly clothing and pinks and, uh, Has like a a feminine face. Harry Styles uh, was notably on the cover of Vogue wearing a dress, and that went super viral. And women were drooling over the fact that this guy is sort of Metro and he's challenging traditional notions of masculinity. So I think that's what it is. Women like a man, some women like a man who challenges. The traditional masculinity vibe. And it makes them feel like he is more comfortable in his masculinity as well as not being afraid to play with femininity.
1: And there may be one of those like dissonance between what you say you want and you're attracted to and then who you actually end up with, similar to mm-hmm. our friend, uh, the mayor of Boston, who is not, right. who apparently hates white people but ends up marrying one. Similarly, is it like, oh, I want, a, I want a male feminist, I want an ally, I want somebody who's got all these right views, but then when it comes down to it, you want someone who's strong and assertive and you're willing to forgive if he's a little rough around the edges just because that sort of energy is more attractive
0: to you. Yeah, there's definitely going to be women in all categories. They say they want soft men, they really want them. They say they want soft men, they don't actually want them. The women who say they want a masculine men, man but can't deal with everything that comes with that. And then the women who say they want a masculine man and that's actually what they want. I think there's gonna be room for everybody. We asked you guys in a poll down below, Ladies, do you prefer, oh, is it going to let me read it? Do you prefer strong masculine type like a Jason Momoa?
1: (laughs) I'm just coming up with this on the fly, guys. Sorry.
0: (laughs) Uh, The softer man type like a Timothy Chalamet? Neither slash other. And then for men, show the results. 47% of you said that you prefer the strong masculine. 10% said softer man. 14 to 15% said neither or other. What are the other types? Drop them down below. What are I you I don't know. Maybe, maybe
1: a tweener? Yeah. I try not to give people like the m- middle option, you know, because I want to like force you to make the distinction. Okay, I lean more this way or this way. So I probably should have left the other yeah, option. Right. Out.
0: Well, but I
1: guess you can drop in the chat what you meant by that if yeah, you want to. Yeah, drop
0: what you mean by other. I'm curious to to hear that. <laughs>
1: dad bot is the other someone
0: said. Dad bot. Okay. I, a lot of women love the dad bot. You would never. <laughs> And I don't think I don't think ever in my life have I heard a man say I love a mom bod. Ever. Ever.
1: No, have you? I don't I no, I don't think it's a thing.
0: But uh women are into pudgy guys, I guess. Which is fair. Men men care a lot more about like. Is it uh, is looks. that like
1: actually thought to be like cute or is it like one of those other girls aren't going to be giving him attention as much attention if he's, you know, not this cut-up fit guy and I'm less threatened by that. So he's my man and I don't have to worry about I it. I think type it's energy. the first
0: one they actually find it endearing for really? a man to have a dad bod. And that it's just like, uh, it's kind of like uh, he's lived in. He's got a, like a lived in body. They're into that.
1: Okay, well each their own Charlize own, as you said yeah,
0: women love dad vibes whether that's from daddy issues or <laughs> it's just a natural phenomenon I don't know uh, but yeah no ne- never in my life have I heard a man say I love a mom bod if you're a man who loves mom bod drop that in the chat down
1: below. It's I'm you know, curious. This curious day and to age, you. there's weirdos who are into everything. So <laughs> not, not that that's necessarily like a super weird thing to be into, but I'm just saying like, you'll find there's somebody. Somebody,
0: somebody. <laughs> yeah. Drop it in the chat down below if you are one of them. Now, okay, speaking of being like blackpilled on masculinity and the dating scene, this is, I don't know, I think it's like an, a little video, like a TikTok video or something that came out. I have to mute it because I don't want to get copyright claimed on the music, but uh, here it is. Let's see, it's a guy checking out a girl at a diner, you know, and he decides she's beautiful. I'm gonna walk up to her and he says, hello, you know, you are absolutely gorgeous. I'd love to get your number, take you out on a date sometime. Boom! He gets the number. And these days, this is what this is what homeboys are doing and women. Just swiping swiping past the very same profile too. What a, what a sad thing to think about. You have to think about how much the dating market is saturated too. Like if you were, let's say we're, we're pre, we're pre-cell phone, you're a pre-cell phone guy or gal, you have to go out. You have to have another place to go to meet people, to make friends, to make acquaintances, and most certainly to get dates. And the number of people that you would see on any given day would be way smaller than the number of faces that we see now. I don't know how that affects us psychologically. We know with dating numbers that, you know, dating feels super saturated on the internet and that, you know, People feel like there's always more options and you can constantly flip through more people. So things are seemingly way less successful and for men in particular. But I wonder what other ways it affects us. We used to have third and fourth homes or third and fourth spaces, whereas, you know, your your home was space number one for you or home number one, your work is space number two and, uh, you know, home number two, basically with the amount of time that you spend there. And back in the day, you had third places like a, a coffee shop that you would always spend time at, a library that you would go to, a bar that you would hang out with with your friends, a restaurant where you're a regular and you would accumulate, you know, spaces on this list uh, dependent amount on the amount of time that you spent there. And now it feels like a lot of young people just have first and second place. And if they work remote, you just have your first place, which is home. And people are not leaving beyond that space to go meet people or make friends. It's very sad. And uh, we actually have the numbers on this, uh, at least as far as it pertains to couples. Here is a little graph that I want y'all to look at. Uh, It says... How couples meet in the United States, and it starts off in the 1950s, and you see there's a lot of different options. You can meet through college, or neighbors, or grade school, through family, work, a bar, through friends, and in the 1950s, people were predominantly meeting through family or through friends, which I think is such a beautiful thing. You are already friends with somebody, or they're in the same friend group, you get introduced, you're already well acquainted, you go on to have a relationship. Your family vets somebody for you and meets them, and they go, I think this is a really nice girl. I'd love to have her over for dinner. She has dinner over at the family house, and then you go on to be a couple. And you see that as the decades pass, these lines sort of wobble and grow. Work and bars ends up being on the uptrend. Through friends, stays pretty, pretty stationary in its place. And then all of a sudden... In the 90s, early 2000s, 2010s, and now to 2020, online skyrockets and everything else falls on a a rapid decline. And now, in 2020, over 50% of couples are meeting online where through friends, work, through family, bar, grade school, neighbors, and college have fallen down to less than 10%.
2: Wow. It's kinda sad. It's wild.
0: And I don't know whether or not you you are to be sad about this or you're just to recognize that it's, like, it's just the conditions of the time that we're living in. But seeing it there with your own eyes really, I don't know, like, puts a pit in my stomach a little bit.
1: Yeah, if nothing else, it's just an indication of how much the world has changed with the advent of the Internet and online dating and the decline of, like you said, those third spaces and and Mm -hmm. just being more physically connected to the world around you. I met my wife through friends, uh, as, but we were both doing online dating at the time that we, we met. So I don't, um, I don't denigrate online dating. Like I think it can be successful. And if, you know, I think it's an option. I don't think, you know, it, you shouldn't maybe put all your marbles in that basket and there's certainly wrong ways to do it, but I think it's, it's possible to, to find a successful relationship through that clearly with, yes. with, uh, how much this is proliferating. But I do think there's something to be said for, like you said, one, like, Yes, the existence of third space is just generally in the culture, but also, you know, I my my wife and, and I have, have multiple friends who are both men and women who would like to be in a relationship, would like to find someone who married and they're approaching late 30s or in their late 30s, um, but have kind of gotten into a little bit of a rut, it seems like, where they're not really online dating, they're not really putting themselves out there in any meaningful way as far as like going to different social groups or anything. It's kind of just like I have my little friend group that I'm comfortable with. I have my coworkers. I do X, Y, Z on the weekends and I just kind of have my lifestyle. And then you just keep doing that. And it's like mm-hmm. you do. I think it behooves you a little bit uh, because like we've talked about uh, what, what's that advice you always say uh, you should put as much uh, effort into finding the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with if that's what you want uh, as Anything else in your life, or is right. it, how do how do you say it?
0: Yeah, as much effort. If you're, you know, going trying to look for a significant other, put as much effort into that as you do in, into your your career. Yeah, put career. A- as much, if not more. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because that's like arguably the most important decision that you'll ever make. It'll affect every day for the rest of your life, and and even beyond that, potentially, <laughs> if you have children. So that's huge. And and I think it's it behooves us to to treat it as such and to you know, position ourselves for success. So if you know who you are, the values that you hold, the type of person that you want, I think it behooves you to like develop habits with your social life and develop and and to put yourself out there a little bit in different places. Like, you know, I'm Christian. So like church, church and church groups are a big thing. I met my wife through a Bible study, not at a Bible study, but she was attending a Bible study that my roommate was uh, attending and he introduced me to her. Um, but, you know, um, I was big into volleyball community. So anyway, I just think it's healthy to like be, be putting out there. And I'd encourage if you, if that's a goal for you to not be single and, uh, you currently are, then, uh, don't just be in that space where you're in your safe little routine. I guess it's, uh, it might fall on deaf ears or feel like oh that's rich coming from you but you know uh i don't know i think it's don't give up and it's i think it's good to put yourself out there and and develop habits that expose you to new people and like-minded people people of similar values that are gonna uh, be uh, fishing in the right pond so to speak
0: dude yeah 100 percent. when i like think and even beyond relationships when we go back and look at this graph it's so interesting to to think about so like Uh, Let's think about neighbors. How many of us actually even know our neighbors anymore? Uh, I don't really know that many of my neighbors. That seems like a complete, you know, cut off as far as uh, life in the modern day and age. Everybody's still going to school and college and grade school, although many of us are, many uh, are doing that online. So that's a whole nother, you know, point of connection that is cut off for many. Uh, Bars, do y'all still go to bars? I met my man at a bar, so a shout out to the bar scene here in LA because that that did well for me through family. Are people still like meeting people through their family? Are y'all family Your family still setting you up with people, or do we view that as like a weird thing? I feel like a lot of people would view that as something very strange today.
1: I I love that in principle, like because you know who knows you better than your family? Like we you know they, there's. People always talk about the the success rate of arranged marriages compared to like, you know, most Western marriages where people just choose like the divorce rates much higher um, because and that's, I guess, a totally different culture. So it's not an apples to apples, apples to apples comparison. Sure. But, you know, your family loves you and knows you and knows your values. And obviously it's it's not gonna be perfect every time, but I think there's something to be said for uh, being introduced through family. I think our culture has devolved from being a more like communal and family-based. Like I heard someone, I think it was Gina Tempo, I think her name mm-hmm. is, talk about how the nuclear family is overrated and because before the nuclear family was like the more communal family where you're actually connected to your extended family and you're, that's a part of your bigger community and like you have this more real life connection with uh, those people that you're related to and also the people that live and occupy the same physical spaces as you. And that's a much healthier orientation. The nuclear family was more like something that came about in the 1950s when people started moving all over the place and make, and it just became mom, dad, kids. And that was it. And it's really, that's not it. You know, you need that, that broader connection. So anyway, I think be, with that sentiment, it, it it would be nice if there were more like familial connections that were happening uh, in the dating scene as well. But I get also that that's not really congruent with how modern life works either. So I, I yeah. get why it's a more rare thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, the same thing with uh, with work, like so many people are working remote and you're there's so many different points of human contact that have now been cut off by technology or by convenience I'm just thinking like in looking at this in looking at this graph you know separate from even finding a a person to date or significant other how many different points of connection are we losing now that this online uh line is on the uptrend. you know how many different friends do you have to have to meet a significant other through friends? How many different work colleagues do you have to talk to to meet a significant other through work? How many family members do you have to like hang with and sit at with dinner for them to know you well enough to make uh, a judgment on who you should be coupled with and the same thing for school and college and neighbors and bars and if all of those are on the downtrend as far as people finding significant others, that means that just general conversation with people who you are not trying to date is on the Mm -hmm. downtrend. And general socialization between, you know, two human beings who meet on out on a Saturday night is on the downtrend, and that's scary to me. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Wasn't there a study or something that we saw recently that was, like, up to... over fifty percent of men said they were scared of coming off as creepy, and so they choose not to approach women or haven't approached women in a, in a year. Or do you remember the exact?
0: Yeah. So it's over fifty percent of men aged eighteen to twenty-five have never approached a woman within the span of the last three hundred and sixty-five days. And when asked why they had not approached a woman uh, over the span of the last uh, three hundred sixty-five days, they said that they were scared of being rejected, that they were scared of coming off as creepy. They were scared that there would be some sort of uh, repercussion, be it through HR or legally from the woman, given the Me Too movement, hashtag Time's Up movement, and just a general sense of... Uh, just not wanting to approach women in person. But I bet if you ask these same men, you know, how they are satiating the need for human connection, you're going to hear things like online dating, chat rooms, pornography. So when you start switching real human connection and real pursuit of human connection for this sort of falsified pseudo connection that we're getting on the internet i don't know what happens to to our society man Mm -hmm. it's scary
1: yeah like before in a different time uh it's kind of like if you wanted to find you know escape your loneliness if you wanted to find the fulfillment of of another person as a man you had to do the work of putting yourself out there of being vulnerable by, you know, approaching a woman and all that. And now there's so many options of ways to get the, get the reward or an artificial version of that reward Mm -hmm. without actually having to take any risk. And I feel like that's, that's become a a big disservice uh, to men and it's, it's, it's made it, 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 I don't know. It's like a, it, it makes you weaker and it, it undercuts your, your development as a, just having the strength of character and like you're probably going to get rejected in your lifetime at some point or another, like it's going to happen. Uh, But uh, you need to develop those social skills and you need to develop the courage to put yourself out there because the reward that you really want is on the other side of doing that. And there's, it, it might feel like there are ways around it with AI girlfriends and things like mm-hmm. that, but there, there really aren't. And yeah. you know, it's, it's fair to say as well, though, that on the other side, you've got these TikToks of girls saying, if he doesn't make six figures and if he doesn't spend $250 on the first date, then, you know, I, he's not worth your time. And so guys are seeing the, that videos like that on social media and they're like, well, How would I ever approach a woman in this day and age, you know?
0: Right. And it's sad because I know there's a ton of women who are not like that whatsoever. Uh, And maybe men are running into the ones who are. Sort of selfish and self centered in that way. I have a friend who is drop dead gorgeous. I kid you not, drop dead gorgeous. And she's single and looking for somebody to date. She goes out, she goes to all of her work functions and events, bars, you know, anything, you know, that's available. She is a a yes person, always super positive, is not going there like with the the sheer intent of of finding somebody, but is just, you know, open to saying yes to opportunities as they arise no guys are not walking up. They're not initiating. And she's nice even to people who she is uh, intending on rejecting. She's not going to like say you're ugly. Get away from me. She's going to like let you down easy and make sure that you you don't feel harmed in any way by her response. And it just doesn't happen and when I say like drop dead gorgeous you would imagine you know 10 10 15 years ago guys would be walking up all the time you wouldn't be able to 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 handle mm-hmm. all the interest that you'd be getting nothing
1: that's not a
0: piece it's just like I, I don't know uh and maybe who knows maybe people are just scared
1: someone said uh, Alex Lesher in the chat says uh Amla can I date this friend of yours <laughs> <laughs>
0: I can't even say who it is. I'm not going to put her, her business out there, uh, but uh, yeah, she's she's awesome. She really is uh, truly, truly awesome. So we'll, Real we'll quick, see what I happens. I want
1: to read the results of our polls here. We asked you guys, did you meet your significant other uh, in person? Uh, online or show results and we have 40% of you said in person 13% online and the rest said show results so about a four or five to one ratio which I guess our audience is probably more self-selected uh, for the type of people who would be in person but sure. that is I'm, I'm sure the general population would be more skewed online as evidenced by that study but that's interesting then we have another poll going right now single fellas have you approached a woman to ask her out in the last year and it looks like about a two-to-one ratio no um, I have not uh, of the single fellows, and the rest are show results. So well, interesting!
0: In a whole year, but, you have not approached one woman in public. I want and, and put in the chat down below why you have not done that. Is it fear of rejection? Is it I don't want to bother? I'm not interested. Is it I'm afraid of the Me Too movement or something crazy happening? Drop that in the chat down below. I think we are now going to get into super chats, guys. Okay, we'll that today
1: let's do it let's see I can get my little bubble oh no I don't have the bubble bubble. today we gotta switch back and forth
0: just back to you
1: if some of y'all said Taylor looks like he's in the closet yes (laughs) uh, I'm where I'm in person in the studio with Amala today in LA I came here for the week uh so that's why we just had a jerry rig a setup here in in the home studio um but the it's more clear because i'm usually zooming in and so you lose some audio and video quality through the zoom so some people are saying wow taylor's voice sounds so much different that's that's why
0: (laughs) i'm reading these comments of why you guys aren't walking up to girls one says uh because i'm gay okay well that's fair (laughs) don't want to be called a creep uh, let's see. Not worth the hassle anymore. Got it. Interesting. Okay. You know what? I f- to each their own. Charlize, Charlize their own.
1: Theron. Charlize <laughs> Uh Trisha is our first super chatter today. She says Celtic or er, at Celtic Blacksmith. No more Gen X pop references. Every time Amala and Taylor don't. Get one. I grow a new gray hair. <laughs> I am hanging tough on this.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. What was the last reference? I don't know if I. Is <sighs> it the don't put baby in a corner or something like that?
1: Maybe. No, that was a that was a dirty dancing movie reference.
0: Right. OK, no, I guess it's not pop culture.
1: Then. Oh, wait. I guess that is pop culture. I kind was thinking of. pop music. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. No, you're right. That is pop culture. Somebody
0: said I introduced you as being in Nashville. Did I introduce you as being in Nashville? Did I say Taylor? Did you say that Nashville? today? <laughs>
1: but of course I have it. I didn't notice it either.
0: I probably did. I do say that out of habit because Taylor is typically in Nashville. So maybe I did do it exactly. That's that. so
1: funny. I'm like three feet away from you. <laughs> okay. Next super chat. This is okay. from Pitlin44. She says, Wow, you're 100% right, Amala. This is so <laughs> like the Hunger Games. It's eerie. You cannot unsee that. Disturbing doesn't begin to. To describe it,
0: yeah, I'm like, where does this go? where does our world go from here? Because obviously, Hunger Games is set in the future of like a futuristic, uh, you know, rescaped America named Panem, and I'm like, uh, sometimes an author is so eerily in touch with uh, like human nature and the human condition that you wonder if it's like somewhat prophetic what is being written, and and to what extent it is, and that's how I feel whenever I write the Hunger Games, and it does suck. Just as a side note, that they get like. The Hunger Games gets put down as like, it's just like a YA book series or whatever, and I guarantee anybody who reads it will see the, the deeper just uh, conclusions about like the human condition and the human psyche and corruption and power and all these different things. So I do highly recommend that uh, you, you read those books if you have not.
1: I need to give it a shot. I mean, uh, The Hobbit was a children's book. So, there you and, go. So, you know, I, I give respect to enduring works of literature that speak to the human condition in a real way. I mean, that's why they last. I wish Hollywood would remember that. And they're trying to put modern ideas into For their real. art, and it's not lasting. Um, but, yeah, great films and great books and everything they—, they that they endure because they, they get it. They nail it. True. Um, okay. Jen McMahon says, why did you scare with a Christmas jump scare?
0: What? Oh, with the, the Christmas jump scare of the uh, White House video? Must have been. It was a bit of a jump scare. Was it? Wasn't it? With all the interesting caricatures.
1: <laughs> Jaron Burns says, I feel like the government has lost the seriousness of what they are put in office to do. I'm uh, all for a little fun, but this is really distasteful and unprofessional.
0: Yeah, no, they really have. And I get it like um, one of the most uh, famous videos in American history as far as first ladies are involved is Jackie Kennedy doing the tour of the White House and explaining her. Her decor choices and you know the furniture and all these different things and that really stood the test of time as you know a representation of uh, American society and what it is like within the the White House and being the First Lady and all these things. But it's really become so tone deaf now and such a, a piece of theater in a time that is not a true reflection of what's happening in the United States that it does feel like uh, you know putting paint on, on uh, over what's, what's actually happening and saying, look, it's, you know, it's, it's freshly painted and it's not, we all know what's happening right now. And we all know that things are not okay. So to, to some extent I go, I understand this is a a tradition. We do it every year in whatever form it takes for, for that year. But uh, just a little bit of understanding or acknowledgement of where we're at right now would be much appreciated but we'll never get that
1: well never say never but yeah it doesn't look good right <laughs> now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right
1: uh monty jose says i always love the hunger games for its social commentary it always felt prophetic here we are
0: yep i uh, there you go you're you're you guys are in tune with me i'm a hungry stand till i die okay <laughs> uh but yeah it really does and when you think about just like the districts being broken up into sectors and everybody's just being utilized for what they can give to the elites and we're just being just like mined for whatever services them and it's very much what's happening right now even though you know geographically it may be different
1: Mm. rings true to my ears Mm. even though I haven't read the books (laughs) or seen the movies Uh, Reggie Reg says, I could could care less about a Christmas party. What are your thoughts about the Navy Federal and their newly discovered loan practices?
0: I don't know anything about the Navy Federal and their newly discovered uh, loan practices. Does that ring a bell for you? How
1: dare you? Yeah,
0: I'll have to look into that.
1: What gives you the right? (laughs) um yeah sorry we we're not up to speed on that one no. but we'll look into it mandy may says i listen for hours at a time while working with boarding pets at a vet i wish i Ooh. could send an essay describing all the ways i appreciate y'all p.o box question mark
0: oh thank you so much i am going to open a p.o box i haven't done it yet uh, but as soon as i have a p.o box you guys will be the first to know and we'll end up throwing it in the description of our our videos for the future
1: yeah, Celtic blacksmith has to forge you something. I know. Did I say that right? Is forge a verb. I, I think, think it is. <laughs> I think it is. Uh, Mani Jose says, it's hilarious that Christmas wasn't PC a while back. Now it is, but only if white people aren't there.
0: Oh, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's very true. It's very true. I am curious to see if this party that she's talking about still ends up taking place in some way, shape, or form, or uh, if she's decided to wholly abandon that idea.
1: Yeah, if Starbucks wanted to offend everybody, they could put Black Santa on the cups, you know, because at first everyone was offended because there's no Christmas stuff on the cups. Now, now they do have Black <laughs> like, Santa. Yeah, they would love to have the, the, the left would love that and then the right, I don't know. Oh, uh,
0: yeah, who knows? I don't know, would the right care if
1: it was a Black Santa? I,
0: I feel like they would. I don't personally care. I grew up, so my grandma has like a whole Santa collection that she busts out every year for, for Christmas and there's Black Santas, White Santas, she's got all the different Santas, so wouldn't bother me all all that much uh, if, if Starbucks did that, but I imagine.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm like Santa's for everybody. If you're if you're Hispanic, make it a Hispanic Santa. If you're black, make it a, like, I don't have any offense to that. I think Just they'd say chill.
0: historically Santa or like Kris Kringle, like that whole guy that sure. where, where it's based off of is historically white. So maybe there would be some people who are you
1: kind know, of pissed off. It's like, is that. that gatekeeping or is it historical accuracy? Yeah. She was oh, like, we could take it too seriously, yeah. but also I get it. I don't know. Whatever. I guess it depends on the motive of the person doing the race swapping. Right. Uh, anyways, Greg Joy 91 says, Did y'all see that Ruby Rose's stalker did an interview and said it was all a hoax? He got paid $20,000 to get the tattoo and take that pic with her.
0: So annoying. I don't know. I did not see that interview, so I don't know. I cannot verify or, you know, deny that. But as soon as we finished filming that video uh, about the Ruby Rose stalker, I was like, Taylor, what if this is fake? <laughs> I was like, what if she's just, what if she's just promoting her she's To be fair, fans? we say
1: that about almost every video that we make these we days. We really
0: do because so many things that happen on the Internet, you're like, oh, that was a skit or that's fake or they, they paid each other to do this. So I was like, what if it's fake? Because I was reminded of this OnlyFans girl who I'd seen a clip of on TikTok and I think her name is Kazumi and in order to promote her OnlyFans she ended up buying a billboard and faking as if a fan bought it and it said like Kazumi please notice me or whatever I love your OnlyFans and of course people started buying this girl's OnlyFans because they thought some guy thought it was so good that they bought a billboard but it was actually her and I was like I wouldn't put it past Ruby Rose or anybody to do this today.
1: That's the, I hate the internet. Like we see these, we did a whole video on those skits that they do like, oh, it's a teacher or a parent who chews out a teacher and tears down this gender thing from the, and it was like all fake. It was totally staged. And yeah, I see, I see tweets sometime uh, where tweets sometimes where like a teacher subbed to her OnlyFans or whatever, blah, 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 blah. And it turns out to be like this, it was literally just a promotion that they made up.
0: Yes. I saw a video on TikTok the other day of this woman and she's filming who's supposedly her father and they're playing this game and at the end of this game he's going to discover that he's cancer-free and he's like sitting in a hospital room and it's supposed to be this emotional discovery that he's cancer-free and I'm like this sounds like acting, this does not seem legit whatsoever. You look into it for five seconds and they just make these videos and fake them on the internet. And then they get millions of views and they have thousands of people commenting like, you know, thoughts and prayers to your father. This is so wonderful. I had a son who died of cancer when he was like six years old. So it's so wonderful to see that your father Ah. is actually in remission and all this stuff. And they are faking the video. How disgusting do you have to be as a person To to do that, I don't know.
1: Dude, Gen Alpha is going to be the most cynical generation ever, and like, not believe anything. There was another hugely viral video of uh, it was like, elks or something in, and they were like stuck in the mud, and then they started like helping each other out. Did you see this? And it turns out it was like two different videos that were mashed together, and the whole thing was totally fake. But it was like getting tens of millions of views on all these social platforms, and just completely made up.
0: Yep, everything's fake
1: i'm never believing anything ever again i
0: know it's so annoying
1: (laughs) uh celtic blacksmith says i don't care who teaches what as long as they actually know the subject but to each their own please my tone or whatever amla
0: says (laughs) exactly if you're well versed in whatever it is that you're teaching me hey i'll sit down and listen all day long it doesn't matter what your skin color is cam newton needs to not be handed a microphone ever again
1: pound sand
0: <laughs>
1: uh, millionaire insight says it's so unfortunate that some people are so quote-unquote pro-black that they end up anti-humanity God bless
0: yeah it's just like what is pro-black like I I don't know I, I saw somebody comment well in the chat today while Taylor was talking somebody said this YouTube channel is so biased she never says anything pro-black you're you I can promise you right now if this person is still listening you are never gonna hear me say anything pro-black on this channel because <laughs> I don't believe in it I fundamentally don't believe in it Just like you're not going to hear me say anything pro white or like pro Hispanic. It's just, it makes absolutely no sense. The very foundation of like being pro black or being pro white is wrong. And therefore, you ain't never going to hear that from me, brother.
1: Pro truth, pro individual (laughs) agency, responsibility, (laughs) pro making good choices and doing right things. Anyways, uh, let's see. Devin Frame says, honestly, as a white guy, the joke. About uncomfortable whites being the most dangerous thing had me rolling. Also, Undercover Brother 2025, I'm for it. I understand and agree on your views about that movie.
0: Yeah, it's like it's it's different when you know it's coming from a place of just malice. It is complete mm-hmm. it's completely malicious. I think uh Undercover Brother, which is a movie that I've actually recommended that people watch, and of course, it has white jokes. All throughout the video. At at one point, uh, spoiler alert, when Undercover Brother is like trying to train himself to be more white, they like hold his eyes open and he watches like white families. They make him eat a sandwich that's like mayonnaise and white bread. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, with with comedy you can tell when the person who's created something actually has respect for the people that they're making fun of and where undercover brother has plenty of jokes about white people it also does the same with like black people and makes fun of their outfits and their afros and how they act and how they talk and uh you can tell that it's coming from a place of not only do i want to like show respect for this community but we can also like you know play have some fun with each other and it's actually a uniting message at the end of the day whereas this movie you can tell the messaging is it is us versus them we are better than them they suck they hate us and they are dangerous and you know where i can totally get behind white jokes when they're accurate and funny and done with respect Mm -hmm. i can't get behind it when it's just like we hate you and you suck
1: Yeah, come after our New Balance sneakers and fanny packs all you want. For It's a hot one, all those type of things. Yeah.
3: Yeah,
1: that's that's all fair game. Go for it. Straight up malice, don't do that to anybody. It's just... Right, It's just not not cool. Uh, Joy gave me crap for skipping her super chat. I'm sorry, Joy. Sorry, Joy. Uh, Love the new tat, Amala. So do you like snakes? I have three ball pythons myself. Snake emoji.
0: I do like snakes. I've never had a snake. uh, But yeah, I do do think they're cool. I mainly got this tattoo because um, I'd gone to a party. They had tattoo artists or whatever. And then I was looking through. They had like Flash that you could pick through, of course. And and Flash is just the... uh, Tattoos that are already set up when you go to a tattoo shop. So I looked through it and I was like, that's the coolest one. I'm going to get that one. And it's still healing, so you guys can't like fully see what it's supposed to look like, but...
1: I've heard that in general people with their first tattoo is like oh it's gotta be like I have to have this much symbolism and this it yeah, needs to be right. this color to represent this era of my life and I have to have this little these tiny you know microscopic letters in it so yeah. that I can get this and then when, when you've had a few you're like oh that one looks kind of cool just throw that on me
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah no a lot of people do that. I guess it's like a de- it depends about your like your philosophy around tattoos and your body and your skin and stuff like that some people take it very seriously every single time they get a tattoo I, I'm more like Oh, this is like a snapshot of a moment in time and it's cool and uh it's not that not that big of a deal. The tattoo artist who did my tattoo was the last one of the night. It was like two in the morning and he was obsessed with classical music. So he's like blaring classical music and talking to me about like all the different musicians and you know, who's famous for what type of classical music and what style. He was a really, really cool, uh cool and funny guy. Uh and yeah, it was just a good experience.
1: Yeah. What a what a memory! What a memory! Uh, let's see, Devian Frame again. No, I just read that one. Celtic Blacksmith says, "You know, looking at the White House, am I the only one who's getting deja vu from the Kid Sniffer, <laughs> seeming to get inspiration from Neverland Ranch?"
0: What? Oh, <laughs> I don't know about that. What is Neverland Ranch? Is that, that's not uh, that's Michael that's not Jackson's, Michael Jackson's thing. thing. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel some type of way about the. I don't know if I believe the the Michael Jackson accusations. I'm on the fence about him.
3: I don't Free
0: have. my man, Michael. Free my man, Michael. He <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the fence about it, but no, I don't know. You you know that Joe Biden has no hand in hiring this dance troupe or what they wear, or anything like that. He's just you know taking a nap while assistants handle all this stuff.
1: Yeah, who who knows? I haven't heard that one though. So don't don't say that one too loud. You'll get us banned for a new conspiracy theory. <laughs> Taylor Fan Club says, no, why did you have to play that trailer? I was actually looking forward to that movie until I saw what the plot was. I thought it was just a silly magic school with black people. Yeah,
0: you know, in hearing what was the title of the movie again? The American Society of Magical Negroes. All I have to do is hear that and I know it's going to be Garbo because it's just like, why would that be a thing? And for what reason? And then when you have to account for the year that we're in you just know why why they're making a movie like that and it's never because it's actually going to be interesting like undercover brother is about like i'm not going to get into all of it but the the agents are like all black it's like an all-black crew of agents for the most part there are some white ones that like help along and do things but it's very much seen as like okay like the the black power is the thing among this group of, of agents or whatever but you never feel like oh, this movie is being blatantly racist towards another group of people. And partially it's due to the time and just the general culture uh, when movies like that were being made. And we just don't have that now.
1: Alas. Uh, yeah. Joel. Ellis says, I'm still trying to understand why black people are at the top of the food chain when it comes to POCs. I'm half white, half East Indian. So celebrating the integration of cultures has been so natural.
0: Yeah, nobody cares about uh, the East Indians, apparently. I guess you guys do too well for yourselves. That's why nobody cares. It's just like whoever we feel the most pity for is at the top of the pyramid. And right now that is black people. It it is subject to change. Uh, But for right now, it's black
1: people. Yeah, with the, um, what was it, the IBM video? The CEO of IBM was like, well, Asians are not an underrepresented minority in big tech or in these positions of uh, well-paying jobs or whatever. So we can discriminate against them because they're not underrepresented. It's like BFFR. If
0: you're a minority that does well for yourself, they do not care about you. Hmm.
1: Uh, Natalie Ree says, this is my first live. I've been listening since April, but I work so much that I never catch lives. Became a patron because I love what you two do and appreciate your commitment to no sponsorships.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I am glad that you are enjoying the show. Glad you got to catch it live. And yeah, we, we try to keep the like host read ad reads off of this show because we know it taints the experience in a way. And I don't ever want to be like, you know, peddling. Products tried one and I was like, can't do this. Not good for me, so, <laughs> and probably not good for you guys. Who wants to hear an ad read when you're trying to listen to a show?
1: But first, Athletic Greens—it's <laughs> like uh, insurance for your nutrition. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh let's see here brad casmer says happy friday guys amla you may be right about the lower testosterone levels of modern men just look at maddie healy
3: Uh,
0: got her came from maddie healy fair enough he probably i mean given the the general trend among men he probably does have (laughs) (laughs) a low t in comparison uh it's just a sign of the times
1: yeah it sucks for him those modern men (laughs) i (laughs) don't know That's such a weird reality to to grapple with. Yeah, it's sad. Uh, i got to eat my red meat and work out. Uh, Diana says, first time catching you live. So exciting. Love your show and your level-headed take on subjects you talk about. Love from Prague.
0: Oh, love from Prague. Thank you You so much for watching. We try to keep it level-headed on this show. Sometimes I fail. Uh, There's going to be a video that's coming out in the next couple of weeks. (laughs) Where I most definitely fail. I think it maybe comes out next week. Oh, my gosh. I fail. I cannot be level-headed about that one. And maybe you'll know it when you see it. I'm not going to tell you what the video is about. Um, you guys can guess in the comments uh, when it comes out. <laughs>
1: uh, uh, it's, it's a heavy sorry. subject. Uh, anyways, <laughs> Daniel Santana says, how are you both doing? I hope you are both doing great.
0: Oh, we are both doing great, I think. I can't speak for Taylor. Taylor, are you doing great?
1: <laughs> I'm doing great. Better Taylor. now. I was a little worried, Daniel, because you usually are the first super chatter on Fridays, and you were late today. But now that we know, you got it in.
0: Now here you are.
1: I'm doing just fine, Dandy.
0: I'm over here like, Taylor, are you doing great? Uh, Yeah, no, he's doing fine. We're doing fine. Everything's good.
1: (laughs) I'm good. Happy to be here. Uh, Manny Petty. Says my boyfriend is 5'6 and I'm 5'8, but he, I think, is in general more masculine. I love my short kings, to be honest.
0: Love that. Love for the short kings out there. Uh, love that for you. I think that's so awesome. There's there's so many girls who would like not do that for some reason. I think that's cool. You found somebody that you like and height, just whatever.
1: Slay girl.
0: Slay girl. She ate <laughs>
1: Eric Brown says, a thought experiment. Primates that suffer losses show lower T. Successful men have higher T. Could anti-male sentiment be causing lower T in society?
0: Uh, maybe. I can imagine there's, it would it would account for some portion of it. I think, like, where you're at mentally and just the general... Uh, environment surrounding masculinity probably does have effects on testosterone and how you feel as a man. So how much? I don't know. I would imagine like synthetic hormones and all the stuff in our food and chemicals and stuff is way more uh, responsible for that, but could could be the general sentiment too.
1: Uh, Taylor Fan Club says, similarly, uh, I always thought men were less manly now because we are just further in the future. A lot of the responsibilities and skills of men are taken care of by working, functioning society with advanced technology.
0: Yes, that's true. But I wonder, like, how how does that affect your hormone levels? Because that's a whole different, like, slice of the pie. You would think... Obviously, like, the the world is less physically taxing. I imagine that affects testosterone as well. If there's less expected of your body, maybe production is just, like, lower in, in that sense. Maybe we need to bring a testosterone expert, scientist. Expert. Andrew Huberman, where are you at? Yeah, Huberman Lab. Get That'd him be on cool. here.
1: But, yeah, I imagine, like, if you're running a farm and you have to get up at dawn and, like, lift a bunch of heavy stuff and do all these hard labor, mm-hmm. laborious tasks... That puts a demand on your physiology mm-hmm. in a different way that's more congruent with, you know, history of civilization and having to go out and, and work for to eat. Uh, so I would imagine maybe that that would correlate with higher testosterone levels You'd or think. a need for that. But, uh, you know, who knows? What do we know? Right. Um, okay. Manny Killark just sends a super chat. No message. Thank you, Manny. Thanks, Manny. And Brad Kazmer says, uh, as sad as it is, that graph is perfect proof that social media has created a culture of very anti-social people.
0: Yes, it has. Unfortunately, I don't think we're getting nearly as much human connection as we need. And that will devastate our society because you need human connection.
1: You really do. Celtic Blacksmith says, okay, Trisha, no more references. You can count on me I'm because I'm never going to give you up, never going to let you down, <laughs> never going to turn around. desert you. So never going to
2: do it. I we got that
1: be- one, so you guys don't have a gr- another gray hair because so of that.
0: Rick rolled in our super chats.
1: <laughs> uh, let's see. Ashley Kresge says, great show as usual. Have you heard about the whole Ruby Rose situation was a weird marketing tactic that had me hook, line, and sinker.
0: It's genius. It really is. Whoever came up with the idea is very, very smart, but also you piss me off, and I hate it.
1: I <laughs> guess. Has that been confirmed? Uh, cause it,
0: I guess. If so, I'm, I'm sure it's plausible that it. someone
1: would say it's a conspiracy theory, or it'd be a very good face-saving move on the part of the guy involved in this story to say that. But I don't know if it's like confirmed that it was scammed. If so, we got scammed. If yeah, so,
0: it. We, we got scammed. Bitcoin billionaire who supposedly offered Ruby Rose 430 k and Bitcoin says it was all a hoax. That's what he's saying it is. So I don't know. He's claiming that. He's claiming it.
1: So is he trying to save face or is that the reality?
0: <laughs> don't who knows? Know. And honestly,
1: I don't yeah. really care at this I'm point. not going to waste any more time ship on Ruby Rose. Sailed.
0: Yeah, the ship yeah. has indeed sailed.
1: Um, Natalie Rie, Rea says, uh, "I still can't believe that the first Hunger Games book came out in 2008, over 10 years ago."
0: I know, crazy the the timeline on those books, and oh my gosh, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, given like the background, I don't know how people think like that. How they can like drum up an imaginary world in their mind with such complex characters and like. Easter eggs and things that all tie into one another over the period of you know like 75 years 76 years I guess technically throughout the Hunger Games. Crazy crazy. Anyways.
1: Cray cray Jared Richard says hey Amala did you know did you see that the Obamas produced a film leave the world behind featuring a conversation about how white people shouldn't be trusted
0: I did we actually have a short on this channel about that I haven't gone through and watched the whole movie I did go through and watch the section where that line does uh, come up and you can see some of the general beliefs in there and I believe that uh what, what's her name who's the woman the white woman who's in that movie Julie is her name Julie Oh, gosh. Leave the world behind. I have to look it up. Andrews? <laughs> no, not Julie Andrews. It's uh, Julia Roberts. Julia oh, Roberts. Duh. She's supposed to be, some. I think, somewhat bigoted throughout the film and a little racist or whatever, but maybe they reconcile that by the end of the movie. I am debating whether or not I should go and watch it because it's kind of already like the wave is mm-hmm. crested a little bit, but we'll see. If you guys want me to watch it and review it, let me know.
1: Well, stunning and brave for Julia Roberts to play the the stereotypical white person.
0: Yeah, uh, and I like Julia Roberts.
1: Yeah, yeah, she's Typical. great in her day. Yeah, facade three says M one FL is a mobbad I don't know what that means. I don't want to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was scared about that. But we'll, t- we'll take your word for it. Yes, Thank you for the super chat. Um, ben Morales says that I like the podcast and and thanks for making the work day go by faster, even though I'm chilling at my shop with our new shop kitten.
0: Ooh, very nice. I love that. I love when stores or shops have their little pet that is, you know, the little, uh, the keystone of the, the shop itself. Very cool.
1: We should get an Amala Studio kitten. I know.
0: I, try, I keep trying to convince my man to get a cat. But mm-hmm. he wants a dog. And, but we're not home enough for dogs, so we're not going to do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, so that's boy. that's one advantage cats have over dogs. They're easier to care for, for sure. Yep. Emilyception says, I've been dating my boyfriend for five and a half years since high school. Don't think I will ever understand dating culture or how it's fun nowadays.
0: You know what? You lucky girl. As You know, if you can keep that relationship and if it's healthy, do it. Because it's rough out there. I can't imagine. I, I wouldn't want to be... Doing that right now.
1: Yeah. Taylor Fan Club says, don't forget Undercover Brother hiring Neil Patrick Harris as a diversity hire. Was that a thing? I haven't Wait, seen the what movie.
0: was it? Say, Undercover Brother? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Was he in that?
0: Well, yeah, he's like he's like the white guy uh, in in the film who you know like gets made fun of and goes through his whole journey of being <laughs> of ex- being accepted within like the the black the black Asian group. Uh, <laughs> he kills it in that movie. He really does. He really does.
1: Yeah, I could see him playing a very good stereotypical white guy. Yeah. Similar to like a Joel McHale or something.
0: I don't think I like him in real life, Neil Patrick Harris. I've heard some shady stuff about him, but oh. uh, yeah. Fun fact, Neil Patrick Harris and his husband, I believe, had, I think it was a Halloween party, and at this Halloween party, it was after um, Amy Winehouse had died, they had a, I think, cake or some sort of food made into the corpse of Amy Winehouse that people were eating. So that's, that's the one story that I've heard about Neil Patrick Harris where I'm like, that's weird as fuck, and I can't get behind your uh, personal activities.
1: Yeah, it's a real thing. Uh, Gilbert Gonzalez Jr. says, I was in the middle ground. Can you stop being gay? Thanks for considering my points. And Michael Jackson was innocent and exploited.
0: Oh Yeah, Gilbert, I, re- I recognize you. I, I know who you are. You were awesome in that uh, middle ground. I like that you stood your ground. It was an interesting topic to discuss. I was saying Taylor should have been uh, there for that episode because there was a lot of uh, religious back and forth, but alas oh, yeah. it was during a break and we filmed, we pre-recorded that. So... Uh, maybe hopefully there'll be another jubilee like that in the future as far as Michael Jackson I obviously I don't know like I don't know whether or not what he's accused of happened or didn't Uh, I could see both realities, but whenever I like hear about his childhood or see him speak about like why there's so much like childlike wonder in his like little Neverland thing, it makes it seem to me like he was somebody who was robbed of his childhood, which we know is the case and that he just wanted to reinvigorate that for other children that were being exploited. Um, I know Macaulay Culkin spent quite a bit of time there. Macaulay Culkin's like, yo, nothing ever happened uh, between me and michael jackson and if you think about it if you're a grown man who had your childhood stolen from you and you were abused macaulay culkin would be sort of like the pinnacle of the kid that you would want to protect he's like flying into stardom Everybody's wants something from him he's a child who's you know making all the money for his family you would want him to have a space where he could explore and be an actual child and keep that intact through the duration of his career so that's what makes me think accusations don't really make sense to me maybe he was just like a misunderstood individual because when you're looking at it like on paper it does sound strange but if you think about it psychologically it makes sense to me but who knows i don't know
1: Uh, who knows Interesting there. I've watched some of those documentaries and stuff, and they don't paint it all in the, the best light, but I guess innocent until proven guilty, as they say. Yeah. Um, Natalie Rhee says, I'm good for movies to come back. I look forward to the rise of independent media outlets for creative projects.
0: I, yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. I can't wait to, for the next time that I watch a movie and I say, like, that was a really good movie. I'm trying to think uh the last few movies that i can think of where i watched them and thought that um the menu was really really good movie i watched that in theaters top gun maverick of course was a good movie didn't have any of that bs in there a Hungry's ballad of songbirds and snakes mm, there's a little mm-hmm. bit a little bit in there i mean good good adaptation i guess for to some extent i give it like a 6 out of 10
1: yeah i was i remember the Netflix made one with Christian Bale. It was like an Edgar Allan Poe themed murder mystery movie and period piece. Help me out in the chat if you know it. But that was the last movie where I was like, that was really good. Mm. And Like I heard I had high hopes for Napoleon, but I didn't see it. But I heard it was like I not it. at all good.
0: I went and watched it with my grandparents. We all all of us were like, what was that? What did we just watch?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I was like, good. they were like deconstructing him and not making it like a clear representation of what actually happened. I heard it was like confusing with the timeline and things like yeah, that.
0: Yeah, nothing. I don't know. And everybody was saying, you know, Joaquin Phoenix's uh, iteration of Napoleon was so good or whatever. I was like, this is, this was flat. There was like nothing going on. Nobody had a character in that. Maybe, maybe Napoleon had no character. Maybe he did like such good research on Napoleon and found that like he was just. Didn't have much going on with him.
1: But oh. yeah. Mm. Alas. The Pale Blue Eye was a movie I was thinking of, by the way. Um, Anisha says, and I think this might be our last one. Um, okay. Hi, hey, I'm a girl, to be honest. You just wanted an excuse to talk Hunger Games, right? It's okay. I do that, too. Uh, Can I get a shout-out for my Potterheads? It's time for the annual Christmas Rewatch Marathon.
0: Oh, I know Taylor's going to be on that (laughs) thing,
1: aren't you? Yeah, I'm more of like a once it becomes fall, then I'm like in Harry Potter mode because I just... You know, the Halloween's represented in the movies. Christmas is represented. It's kind of like they say is die hard a Christmas movie because uh, they have Christmas in some of the Harry Potter movies. So does that make it a Christmas movie? I guess. Uh, yeah, but maybe. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The whole the whole you know fall into the holidays is definitely Harry Potter. S Z N.
0: And girl, yes, I did use this as an excuse to talk about the Hunger Games. I will at any chance, <laughs> <laughs> anytime time I get the opportunity. You know me too well, guys. That's our final super chat. Thank you so much for watching the show today. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Let me know what your weekend plans are in the comments down below. Always love to hear from you guys and hear what you're up to. If you liked this video, like, subscribe, click the notification bell to be notified every single time we're live. That's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Eastern. Plus, we post videos for you guys every single day. Tomorrow's video is about Matt Reif getting back in the news for coming after a six-year-old in his comments on Instagram, so there's there's a bit to say about that, so we'll circle back on the Matt Rive story. Guys, thank you so much for watching, and I will see you next time.